From Genesis 6, starting in, chapter, in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Well, it is a privilege for me to get to talk to you today, partly because I love this church, and I love the people here. I love the people in Carleton Landing, and of course, we like to come as often as we can to see our kids, Cole and Laura. Well, let's, let's just be real. We want to come see Davey, and so we see them as a, as a consequence of this. But I do need to set the record straight, though, because uh, Cole was being very nice about this, but let me tell you what really happened. So when we told him that we were going to be here this weekend, uh, and we just happened to be here, he said, oh, well, you know what? We've got camp the week before, and it's going to be really hard for either Jared or me to, to work on a sermon. Maybe you'd consider preaching. I said, oh, you know, I really enjoy just coming and listening to you. And he said, no, no, Dad, I, I really, there are a lot of people, by the way, that listen to you. I know most of the young kids in here by voice from the audio that I listen to seriously. It's a great uh, podcast of your services. So I said, I really enjoy listening to you. And he said, no, Dad, I, I really want you to because, you know, I've always thought of you as like a model preacher. And I thought, well, okay. I mean, I, I can't say no to that. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Man, I feel really good. And so then I go in and, and I told Laura that. And she said, well, you know, if you look up model in the dictionary, what it says, I go, no. She goes, a model is a small imitation of the real thing. I, <laughs> And I thought, yeah, it is. So we changed our will uh, this week, and <laughs> Cole's not in it anymore. So. You guys have been in a fascinating series in the book of Genesis. And today's lesson finishes out a chapter, if you will. It's kind of the end of a story. In Genesis chapter 6, you started with just honestly a brilliant sermon about Adam and Eve. And if you remember, the, uh, what the scripture wants to talk about there was Adam and Eve made an exchange. They exchanged worshiping God for a lie when Satan says, you could be God. And they made that exchange. And needless to say, they realized that disobedience to God had great consequences. And you may remember Cole pointed out an interesting thing in the story. It said at first they were naked and they weren't ashamed. 
They were intimate with God and they had nothing to hide. But after the rebellion, they were naked and they were ashamed and they covered themselves with fig leaves because they had something to hide. And that sin didn't stay between Adam and Eve and God. It wasn't just a vertical relationship that got fractured, because in the very next page of Scripture, you get the story of Cain and Abel. And so Cain, too, makes an exchange. If you remember, Cole told you that Abel brought the first and the best of his flock, but Cain brought some of the produce of the ground. And so he, too, made an exchange that God wouldn't be the highest, that his interests would be higher than God's. And he, too, found himself ashamed and unapproved, and he covered it with his anger. And you remember, Cain killed his brother. And so the sin that began with Adam and Eve and that fracturing of that vertical relationship also made its way horizontally, if you will, into the relationship among people. There's a powerful lesson there that if you water sin, don't be surprised if it grows. I mean, if you will cultivate rebellion against God, don't be surprised if you wake up and it's taken over your garden as it did the Garden of Eden. And it not only alienated them from God, it alienated them from one another. Uh, John Owen, the Puritan preacher, has a way of saying this. It's just really pithy. He said, we must be about killing sin, or sin will be killing us. And you see that played out in the first few chapters of Genesis, don't you, is sin never remains by itself. It spreads out, and it infects, and it grows, and indulging sin causes it to spread. You know, in in experience, one of the best sayings that I heard, this is decades ago, I remember a sociologist making this statement, and it has proved to be true experientially. Maybe it's true for you as well. He said this, he said, what one generation tolerates the next generation celebrates. And I thought, well, that was really astute. And as I've lived life, I've realized there's some truth in that. Once you let sin into your garden, if you will, it has a tendency to take over the garden. And you see literally that generational effect of sin in these first couple of chapters. Well, sin does its thing. That's really the first six chapters of Genesis is a story about many things, but one thread that runs through it is simply what happens with one sin, and then it spreads, and then it goes deeply into the society. And so chapter 6 is actually talking about human society, human culture. And we read this. By chapter 6, it says, "...the Lord saw that the wickedness of humanity was great in all of the earth." And that every intention of the thoughts of human hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now that's an interesting phrase. I just want to point that out as we go by. Is you tend to think of God as the, the harsh judge, and rightfully so. Sin has entered the garden, and sin has corrupted all of humanity. And so you expect God's judgment, his righteous judgment. I mean, all of us would be wrathful to see our creations spoiled, to see our children oppressed. 
But at the same time, God has a great deal of compassion. It grieved his heart. It hurt his heart to see this. A few verses later, in chapter 6, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, the whole earth was corrupt, because all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so you see this spiral of sin, and sin taking over, if you will, first an individual life, then an individual family, and then all the family of humanity. And so God describes that very well. But that is the trajectory of the nature of humanity. We were created good, but we are bent towards sin. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, as Paul begins to talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, he talks about three exchanges that get made. Notice the similarities with the beginning of Genesis. He said the people exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the glory and the image of God for various idols. And they exchanged their, their God-given passions for unnatural things. And he says, and as a result of that, let me read you the end of chapter 1. He says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to their debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then listen to this list. This list is not every individual does all of these things, but listen to this description of society and think about the time of Noah. It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and greed and malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and defeat, a deceit, excuse me, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God. They're insolent. They're proud. They're boastful. They invent evil things. They're disobedient. They're foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. You might think to yourself, that describes parts of our world today as well. And that's why the sin in Genesis doesn't stay in Genesis. That story is archetypal for all of human history. In fact, Thomas Hobbes, you may be familiar with Thomas Hobbes, he lived in the 1600s and he was a political philosopher. And if you have heard of him, the reason is probably because Thomas Hobbes had a huge influence on the founders of this country. Thomas Hobbes, he read the book of Genesis he also looked at all of history since that time, and he came to the conclusion that left to our own devices, humanity will fall into what he calls a state of nature. Well, what is a state of nature? He said that a state of nature is the natural condition of humanity and that that is war of all against all. In other words, the ultimate satisfaction of the self over God is that all of our selves turn against one another. Well, that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 6. That's what Paul's describing in Romans. That's what Thomas Hobbes was describing. He says, if you want to build a political system, you need to account for the fact that left to our own devices, we'll each turn on one another. That's why we have a system of checks and balances in America. Our founders understood that absent Christ who transforms hearts, the next best thing are laws that circumscribe individuals. But even so, that can only do so much. 
And so you see the truth of what's happening in Genesis, the truth of where we tend to go when sin enters the world, has played itself out over and over and over. And that's why this story, this true story in Genesis is so important. And so God saw that all of the world was corrupt. And he resolved to cleanse the world, to judge the sin of humanity. But you know what's really interesting to me? You know what's coming. We're going to have a flood. And he's literally, I mean literally going to cleanse the world. And that's not a coincidence. But you know what I was thinking is that just doesn't seem quite fair to me. Because humanity is the problem. And so why didn't you just have something like, well, we've had COVID-19, COVID-1. And so maybe we just punish the humans. But here's the problem with sin. The problem with sin is, and the text says, humanity had corrupted all of the earth. And there's a powerful lesson there. Private sins never stay private. And personal sins never punish only the sinner. That's what we see here. Adam and Eve rebelled, and what happens? It affects their family. It affects all of humanity in time. And you and I know that's true. We convince ourselves sometimes that our fractured relationship with God, our disobedience, our sin, that's just about me. It's never just about us. It always infects those that we love the most. And so God said to make a new beginning, we need to cleanse the world. And so the flood came, and judgment happened, and the world ended. And that's the end. (laughs) And so the book, the Bible, nice little pamphlet, six chapters long, right? Well, it should be the end, shouldn't it? And it is an end of a chapter. And I want to leave humanity right there uh, in the flood for just a minute because I want to point out something. I want to make a connection for us. Why is this story even here? And I want to suggest to you one of the reasons that this story is here. This is a true story. Let me just say that. This actually happened. But this story was true more than once. This is a true story that's true more than once. What do I mean by that? Well, I want to fast forward to our lives today. And I want to read you what the Apostle Paul writes to Christians like us. He might as well be writing this to us today. And he wrote a letter to a town in Ephesus to a group of believers like this. Could have been written to the, to the church in Carlton Landing. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a very powerful, should really get our attention. He said, as for you, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses in which you used to live when you followed the course of this world, when you followed the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan. He says, the spirit that's at work in this world, you used to follow it. We all used to live there in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind. Does this sound like Genesis 6? It is. He said, that's who you were. He said, and you were by nature children of wrath. In other words, you were by nature just like all those people in the time of Noah. You too were sitting under God's judgment because sin has overrun our garden as well. He said, like the rest of mankind. And in fact, in Romans chapter 7, there's this 
unbelievable passage as he concludes this meditation on our, our nature and on sin. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin and death? And so one of the reasons I think this, this whole piece from Adam and Eve to Genesis 6, from the beginning as God ordered the world to the end of this chapter where God washes the world clean. That has played itself out and is true more than once. And we too find ourselves in the same circumstance. Well, let's go back to Genesis and let's see what happens. Because in fact, it's not the end of the story. There's a but in the story. It's in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. It's right after God talks about how there's evil in all the earth, and all the earth is corrupted. And then there's this word, but God had grace on Noah. Your text probably reads, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. The Jewish rabbis translated this rightly. They translated it, and I want you to hear it this way. God showed grace to Noah. Now, Noah was a special child. Lamech, his father, named him Noah, which means rest. You know, he realized the world in which they're living, this isn't good. It's like a hamster wheel. You work, you work, you work. You never get ahead. It's enemies and neighbor against neighbor, and it's not a good world. And he put all of his hope in this child, and he named him Rest. That perhaps humanity will find some rest in this child. And God showed grace to Noah. And so he comes to Noah and he shows grace in a particular way. This is interesting. I want you to think about everything you know about the Bible. This is going to fit. It's just going to click like that. God shows his favor always through an act of faith, through an act of faithfulness. And that's what happened here. What does his grace look like? He came to Noah and he says to Noah, out of the blue, he says, you know the world's pretty bad and it's all under judgment and a flood is coming and I'm going to rinse, I'm going to cleanse the world. And so I need you to build an ark. I need you to build a boat. He's like, seriously, it's pretty nice outside. He's like, no, I need you to build a boat. You know, my neighbors are going to think I'm crazy. And by the way, I'm not sure the zoning is really set up for the, just build the boat. And so he tells him to build the ark, and Noah begins to build the ark. Noah believed what God said, and this act of faith, maybe a better word, is trust, is this simple act of trust in God, and so he did it. Think how many times in the Scriptures you see God's grace play itself out through what? An act of trust, a simple act of faith. Well, that's what Noah does. He begins to build this ark. By the way, this word ark is really interesting. And the Hebrew word uh, tibah for ark is only used two places in the Old Testament. It's used in this story. And it's used in the story of Moses. Do you remember when Moses was little? Parents were supposed to kill him. And they didn't, but they had to do something. And so they made this basket and they put him in the basket. That's this word. An ark, we think of it as a boat. I'd really like you to think of it as God's protection. It's a basket. It's a covering. Remember Adam and Eve? What did God do? He covered them. Remember Cain? 
as he was sent out to wander and he said, people are going to kill me, he put a mark on Cain to protect him. The ark is not so much a boat, it's God's grace to envelop and cover Noah and his family and protect them, just as he would do with Moses hundreds of years later. And so he covered them, and he sheltered them, and he protected them. And you know the story, 40 days of rain and all that time in the ark, and all of the world is cleansed. And Noah, finally with his family, comes to dry ground, and they begin a new life. It's a new start. A story that should have had an ending. But by the grace of God and one act of faithfulness, the story doesn't end. And you get a new start and you get a new beginning. Well, let's pause there and let's come back to you and me. Ephesians 2 said, we too sit under the judgment of God. And we too look like we're in a hopeless situation. But Ephesians 2 goes on and it also has a but. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. We were, Genesis chapter 6. There was the grace of God through an act of faith, but God intervened. Same is true for us, but because of his great love for us, God intervened by his grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And we read in the book of Romans, it says it this way, we were buried therefore with Jesus in baptism as though we had died. Do you hear echoes of the flood in this? You should. We were cleansed, and our old selves died. And we were raised to walk in a brand new life. You see, our story is that story. That story was true then, and that story is true now. We, too, have a brand new life. But here's the interesting thing. They got a new start because of the grace of God through an act of faith. And that's exactly true for us as well. God intervened in our lives through grace and an act of faith. For you are saved by grace through faith. Whose faith? The faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Not mine, not yours, his. His faithfulness. You see, Jesus is the Adam that stayed faithful. Jesus is the Cain who said, when sin is crouching at your door, turned away. He too was tempted, but did not give in to sin. He is the Noah, who was faithful to God, but unlike Noah, if you read the rest of the story, did not persevere in his faithfulness, but Jesus did. Philippians said he persevered all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. God has intervened in our story as well through his grace and an act of faith, an act of trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, so what do we know and what do we apply from the story of Genesis and what Romans tells us about our condition is we too find ourselves in the position of the people in Genesis chapter 6. We too find ourselves 
and, if you will, overrun with sin. We too find ourselves doomed without some kind of intervention. And God, because He loved us, think John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son to do that act of faithfulness on our behalf that we too might live a new life. That's the story of Genesis. That's the story of Carlton Landing today. It's the story of our world today. So what do we do? What do we do? God will intervene in your life and my life as well. You know what the problem with that is? It's not God's intervention. It's my recognition. Not many people that I talk to are aware that they have a fractured relationship with God. Sometimes. But you know how that usually shows up? It shows up in fractured horizontal relationships, doesn't it? It's very few of us that don't realize we're struggling horizontally. And what is this telling us? The source of your problem is not, how can I get along with my spouse? Or how can I deal with these pesky kids? Or how can I deal with this boss or this job? Or how can I deal with this world? It's so unfair, unjust, etc. That's not the root cause of the problem, but it's usually what presents to us, isn't it? It's because we need to be reconciled vertically. And God is the only one that can do that. God decided to intervene to reconcile us to him. So once we recognize that our garden, if you will, is overrun with weeds and we want out, we want a different way, God intervenes through one act of faith. And each one of us are called on to respond to God's grace with an act of trust. We're saved by grace through faith. Whosoever might believe will not be condemned. Do you see the pattern? God intervenes through the faithfulness of Noah in that one act. God intervenes cosmically in the faithfulness of an entire life, a perfection of Jesus Christ. And God is willing to intervene in your life and my life through an act of trust. That's what Genesis 6 is about. We are replaying our nature, if you will. And our God is gracious enough to be willing to intervene. And instead of cleansing the earth, he'll cleanse our hearts and he'll cleanse our lives. Today you may say things are going great, you may be reconciled to God, but sooner or later, if we have not reconciled ourselves with God, our garden is going to get so full of weeds that we will no longer be able to ignore that fact. And all I want you to know is, is that all it takes is your God intervening, which he has done, and now he waits to see, will you perform that act of faith? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of the book of Genesis. And I thank you as we meditate on it, Father, the immediacy of the lesson from Genesis. I confess to you that if we think about it, our, our lives probably followed a very similar path from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to a completely disordered life of Genesis 6. And Father, in the midst of all that disorder, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the despair, you were there. You were there in the person of Jesus Christ who loved us enough to bear our sins and make a way for a new life. And for that, we praise you 
and we thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to trust you in the small things and like a, a mustard seed, it would grow that you might be able to do great things through us, not just in our lives, but in our spouses and our families and our children and our grandchildren and ultimately in this world. In Christ's name, amen.